When we're babies, one of the first things we're taught is how to communicate our needs. How to communicate when we're hungry, how to communicate when we want our diapers changed, how to communicate that we're in pain. These are things that our parents try to teach us when we're small. They teach us how to walk, how to talk. And as we grow and develop as children and into teenagers and into adults, we go to school and we're taught education. We go to college and university. We're taught to get a degree. We're taught to get a job. We're taught how to make money. But one thing in life that we're not taught is relationship intelligence. How many of us parents sit us down and teach us how to communicate our needs in relationships? How to communicate your values? How to say to your partner, these are, these are the values that I'm looking for in an individual. This are the thing, these are the things that I stand up for. And this is what I'm looking for in my partner. And how many of us actually actively seek someone who shares the same values as us, that when we go into a relationship, they know where we're going, what we're about and what we're looking for. I know I wasn't taught that growing up. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that weren't. These are things that we had to learn ourselves through life experiences, through ups and downs, through struggles, through mistakes, through lessons. And my next guest is someone that's going to be talking about relationship intelligence and why it's important to have it so you can have a thriving and healthy relationship. Hi, my name is Fabian Morgan and welcome to Everyday Dialogue, the podcast where we discuss everyday experiences that shape our lives as human beings, whether it's celebrating our successes or painfully navigating our way through failure and trauma. These experiences determine how we show up in the world for ourselves and others. On this platform, I will be sharing my personal experiences as well as inviting a variety of guests who will share their most authentic or vulnerable stories, where we lift up those who dare to show up fully in life. With a new episode every Saturday, we will be tackling a broad range of subjects that deals with what it means to be us, what it means to be human. So pull up a seat and join me at my table. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Everyday Dialogue and today's episode I have an extra special guest, her name is Riley. Thank you so much for joining me Riley. So Riley, she's a love educator and a relationship coach. She's been featured on the BBC, Peanut App, Medium, Sovereign Magazine and many more and I've invited her on so we can talk about love, relationships and just about her journey as well and her experience with the client group that she deals with and what we can all learn from that. So thank you for joining me Riley. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much. So regarding you being a relationship coach, what made you wanted to do it? What was it that made you think, oh, this is something I actually really want to do? So my journey began when I was abandoned by my father as an infant and left to sleep in the snow. The beginning of my journey was very love voidant. I grew up with my mom and my stepdad in this extremely abusive and neglectful household. I didn't really know what love was, but I soon 
saw that this is what love isn't. You know, I felt that as a child that this, there's something missing here. And so at 16, I decided to leave home. I went to university. I was able to get a car and a house and, you know, support myself in that way. But on the inside, having gone through all that trauma, I was absolutely miserable. I was suffering from anxiety and depression. I had an eating disorder. And it got so bad that one day I decided that I was going to take my life. And I went to a hotel room and I said, I need this to end. I can't continue like this anymore. But in that moment before I made that decision, I asked myself if I actually wanted to die or if I wanted the suffering to end. And in that moment, I realized that if I could create a beautiful existence for myself, then that is something I actually wanted to participate in. So when I was younger, I was labeled academically as gifted. I was extremely book smart. And when you leave home at 16, you become what we call street smart. So I had the book smarts and the street smarts, but still there was there was something more important than those two things that was missing. And that's what I refer to as relationship intelligence. Mm -hmm. So when I went on this journey and I said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to create this new existence for myself. I've taught myself how to do so many things. I can teach myself how to do this. So I started to learn about relationship intelligence and how to love myself and how to create a beautiful relationship with myself and create a beautiful relationship with other people. And along this journey, I realized that I wasn't the only one that so many of us are suffering from toxic relationships with ourselves. You know, we're having a huge mental health crisis at the moment, which I think has, you know, it's always existed in human uh, history. But now it's going into the spotlight of people not being able to love themselves, people having broken relationships with their partners, broken marriages, broken friendships, broken relationships within family dynamics. And so I, I decided that I wanted to spread this wisdom that I had accumulated with the world. You know, a lot of people, when they come into my community, the first thing I ask them is, when did you learn how to have a thriving relationship? And it's sort of a strange question. And they're like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, did your parents teach you? Did they sit you down and say, look, this is how you have a thriving relationship, the same way they teach you how to tie your shoes and how to use a fork. And they say, well, no. And so I ask them, you know, did you take a class in school called relationship intelligence? And they say, well, well no. And so we understand that the quality of our life is dependent on the quality of our relationships. So why are we not being taught how to have successful ones, especially when we have studied relationships at a scientific level? We do know the formula for success. It's not this mystical thing that we can't figure out. And so if we have the knowledge and we have the need I need to come in and bridge that gap so that people can create beautiful relationships with themselves, overcome trauma, overcome toxicity, and really create the lives that we all deserve. Wow. And that was really, really powerful knowing that you know what it's like to not have experienced love and you you felt the need to, one, find it for yourself, and two, bestow that onto others. Because as you say, you're not the only person out there who grew up in toxic environment. There's so many people out there that don't know what love is and they can go into like an extremely opposite direction. Like my partner, he's someone that's very loving, very passionate, but he had a terrible childhood. His mom was quite emotionally abusive and 
he made a decision that he was never going to be like that. And sometimes I do think to myself, especially when early on when we first started dating, how is someone like this so empathetic, so loving, so caring, considering how they were raised? You know, sometimes you think that they would become like their parents. But I think he made the conscious decision that he's not going to be like that. He's not going to allow his childhood trauma to turn him into a monster. Because I think for him, his mom had a terrible upbringing as well, but she allowed it to turn her into this really nasty, mean person. And he really done the work that needed to be done to kind of navigate away from that. And you are right when you say that um, the quality of our relationships really do dictate um, the quality of our life. And interestingly enough, I've been hearing that a lot. I heard it on the news last week. I saw a newspaper article that said it as well. And then now you're saying it, it that message just keeps popping up to me. <laughs> so it's actually quite interesting that I, that I saw that. Um, one of the questions I was going to ask you, which you've actually answered, um, on your Instagram, it said abandoned at birth to six figure boss. I was actually going to ask you about that, but you just actually explained, um, what happened. Was it difficult building your career and getting it to where it is now? It wasn't difficult in the sense of the business aspect. I do have a finance background. I studied um, finance and hospitality. So my dream eventually, um, earlier on was to work on Wall Street. Because I came from a lower middle class family, we, you know, we just barely had enough money for food and for shelter. And my mom was in a financially abusive relationship. So I saw the power that money could bring. It could bring freedom. It could bring choice. So when I was in high school, I thought, well, what do I want to do when I grow up? And I said, well, I'm really good at math and I want to do something that makes a lot of money. So let me get into uh, finance. And my dream was to work on Wall Street. Soon enough, I realized that that wasn't my purpose in life. There's a difference between being good at something and being passionate about something. And so all of those lessons that I learned studying for six years, it did come up when I decided to create my business. So there was nothing lost there. Um, but I would say that the biggest transformation that happened when I created my business, and it's something that still goes on to this day, is the transformation of self. Mm. Because... When you go through, you know, my journey took about 10 years, this healing from my trauma and really understanding who I am and what I want to create for myself. It took about 10 years, but I would say in the two years that it took me to create my business, there was equally as much transformation because when you become a life coach, you know, any aspect of life, life coaching, whether it's, you know, a sexual, um, a life coach that talks about sexuality or a parent coach or um, any of these kind of life coach genres, it really makes you dig deep within yourself. And the better a coach you are, the digger you've dug. Because you have to embody all of those things that you want to share with the world. There's a difference between telling someone how to do something or really touching their soul because you connect with that side of them. So when I went through my my journey of creating my business, the actual business side came very easily to me. You know, I taught entrepreneurship for 10 years in Barcelona, so I was used to the business aspect. But becoming the love educator, that was a huge transformation because I'm not just telling people about the science, about the facts, which is an important aspect, but anyone can Google any of those parts that I talk about, right? And, and you know, that can be something that's explained by an AI. But 
what it means to truly become a life coach is to connect and to empathize and to inspire and motivate. And that takes something within you that may be there when you start, but you have to really, really dig deep to get all of it and be able to express it in a way that inspires people and connects with people. So that was the biggest transformation that happened. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's it's true what you're saying in terms of it. You have to actually have that emotional connection with the person that you're providing the service to, because it's hard to be a life coach or a relationship coach and not grow and not go to those deep places. Even for me, since I've started my podcast, which I've been doing for since last year, September, um, August, September, it's changed me because I've brought on so many different guests with so many different stories and people that's overcome so many different things. And it's made me even dig deep into myself and think to myself, wow, that's something that I can relate to. And maybe I haven't approached it the right way. And it's kind of led me to even go and work on myself in areas that I never knew I needed the work. So it is really important to connect with people because you learn, you definitely do learn so much. Um, do you believe we all have a soulmate? I love this question. <laughs> um, I, as much as it sounds romantic and it sounds fantastic, um, do I believe that there is one person out there that you are supposed to be with? Absolutely not. Um, the chances of finding that person, you know, with the billions of people on this planet, it, it just doesn't make sense. Um, I do believe that you can create a soulmate relationship. So I call that a power couple relationship or a power couple dynamic. I believe that you can create that relationship. Um, when we find someone and we tend to say that this person is our soulmate, oftentimes we're talking about compatibility and attraction. So when you are first dating someone and you're first getting to know someone, we first have attraction for them. Lots of times it's physical and then it's also emotional. Once you get to know them, you have this attraction and that attraction then turns to attachment. I feel close to you. I feel bonded with you. As we tell our stories, as we spend quality time together, we start to come closer and closer and strengthen this bond. Um, when we feel that intensity, we then call it love. Right. So it goes from the uh, attraction to the attachment and then it turns to love. We eventually say, I love you. And in that process, it is something that requires you to meet someone that you are compatible with, but not compatible in the sense of, oh, we both like tennis and we both like rock music, but compatible as in we share the same values, boundaries, and expectations for the relationship. That is what true compatibility is. We have the same vision as to what it is that we're creating and the life that we're going to live together. That is really the most important step. Um, but what is equally important that requires even more effort because falling in love is actually easy. Most of us have been in love at least once, right? If you're an adult, you probably have been in love once or more, right? Mm -hmm. So love is actually the easiest part of a relationship. It's an important part, but it's the easier one. The one that takes up more space and time and energy is the part that we call mastering relationship intelligence. So once we once we fall in love with someone, how do we then create a relationship out of that? Because love is not enough. If love was enough, you would be with the first person you fall in love with 
you'd be happy until, you know, one of you died and relationships would be super easy. I wouldn't have a job, right? But it's not just about the love. The love is important, but we need to then create a thriving relationship out of that love that requires communication and compromise and negotiation, a problem-solving technique, being able to practice interdependence and understanding all of these aspects that are so crucial to having a power couple relationship or, you know, having the soulmate relationship as some people refer to it as. Wow. And um, you talked about being a power couple. I know on your website, you have a program called the Power Couple PhD. Yes. So yeah, tell me a bit about what that entails in terms of what type of service do you provide that, that brings people to become a power couple? Well, firstly, let's define what a power couple is yes. not. a lot of people have heard the term power couple and they're like Riley but I don't want to be Angelina and Brad and you know and Kim and Kanye how they used to be you know I'm not looking for that and and I say yeah me neither you know we're not talking about you have to have riches and live in big mansions when I refer to a couple as a power couple I'm talking about a couple that is deeply in love and able to navigate their relationship successfully they have the perfect relationship perfect not meaning without flaw but perfect as in as close to flawless as possible meaning that they put the effort in every day they understand what they're doing they understand what they're creating And they use the power of their relationship to create the life that they love. So two people come together, they fall in love and say, this is the life that we want to live. This is the people that we want to be. This is the kind of relationship dynamic that we want to have. And then they make it happen. So when we're talking about how do we create a power couple relationship, because most people are not in this type of relationship, we're talking about the 1% of the 1%. So how do we get to that level? What is it that we need? Well, first of all, we don't need anything special that some people have and other people don't. We're not talking about people with money or people with access or people. Any couple has the potential to become a power couple if they get the information. So in the Power Couple PhD, I teach couples the formula for creating a power couple relationship. Again, we've been able to study relationships on a scientific level. So this isn't mystical. It's not, you know, it's not a secret. It is out there. But because no one has put it down on paper and and shared it with the world, people just don't have access to it. So in the program, I teach couples from start to finish how to create this thriving relationship. And it can be broken down in three simple steps. The first is to create that common vision. Are you with the right person? (laughs) You know, Mm. if you're with the wrong person, none of this is going to work. Are you actually with the right person? Are you compatible? Do you share the same values, boundaries, expectations, and goals for the relationship? For example, in 2023, we have to be very specific. If you are in a heterosexual relationship, you have one man and one woman. Do you believe in the traditional values as in the man goes out and makes the money and the woman stays home and, you know, cooks and cleans and and takes care of the children? Do you subscribe to that? Do you value those beliefs? And if you value the other the other side which is the more liberal side which is you know there are no gender roles and we can do whatever we want and we don't subscribe the thing is that when it comes to the success or failure of the relationship both of these are okay 
if you feel that a man's job is to go out and to provide and to protect and a woman's job is to stay home and take care of the kids, if you believe that, your relationship can work. If you don't believe that, your relationship can work. None of these things really matter. Whether you're in a same-sex couple or a heterosexual couple, if you are in an open relationship or a closed relationship, if you have children or you don't have children, if you believe that a, that a marriage is a piece of paper or a sacred union, none of these things matter when it comes to the success or failure of the relationship. The thing that matters is, are you with a person that believes what you believe? That is what is important. And what I see time and time and time and time again, especially with women, is that they get into a relationship, they don't ask the right questions. And then they're at home taking care of children. Their husbands or boyfriends are not helping them with the kids, not helping with the cooking and the cleaning. And the women are like, this is wrong. What is going on? You know, why isn't he? We have to have these conversations and come to agreements. What is my role? What is your role? How do we see this relationship and make sure that that person is compatible with you. So that's step one. Step two is to master relationship intelligence. First, identifying what it is. So we have things like communication. How do we communicate? Couples struggle so much with communication. They just don't know how. They're doing a lot of talking, right? There's a lot of talking. There's a lot of yelling. There's a lot of you know, information going back and forth, but there's no actual communication. How do we communicate? Well, one of the most important aspects of communication is active listening. We're terrible at this. When you're telling me all the things that you don't like about me, I'm thinking about my defense. No, I didn't. Yes, I did. Why would you say that? That didn't happen, right? I'm not actually listening to what you're saying. I'm criticizing. I'm, I'm defending. I'm making judgments. I'm making conclusions. We don't know how to actively listen. If we don't actively listen, we're not having a conversation. We're just two people, just blah, 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 right? So different things like this. We have interdependence. Mm -hmm. We think in a relationship that I'm with my twin. I'm with someone who thinks exactly what I think, who wants exactly what I want because we're together. So we must be on the same page about everything. Well, no, you're two different humans having two different experiences. And we have to understand that when you come into a relationship, two do not become one. This idea of you're my other half and 50-50 and I'm nothing without you and blah, blah. Again, I hate to kill the romance, but it's killing the relationship to believe these things. We have to understand that two do not become one, but two become three. There's partner one, partner two, and the couple. And the key to a thriving relationship is being able to balance these three entities. I need to be Riley Molinario, and then my husband needs to be Eric Molinario, and then the two of us together then create that third entity, which is the couple. But we never lose our individuality. I never lose my passions and my independent thinking and my desires and all of those things, and neither does he. But then how do we balance those to make sure that we're both happy all the time? It's a skill. It's a skill that we practice. So that's, you know, and there's a bunch more. So that's basically the relationship intelligence. And then the third step is to cultivate joy. So it's the quality time, the sex, the passion, the date night, the, you know, all, all of the fun that you have. We invest in that fun. You know, couples say, we don't have fun. Well, what did you do that was fun today? Well, nothing. Well, there you go. You know, if you don't invest in that because you think, well, we don't have time, I don't feel like it, or I'm so busy, or, you know, we have to 
give 100% of our time and focus on the kids, well, of course, your relationship is going to start falling apart. So we have to understand what all of this means. And it is complex in that there's a lot of parts. But when I explain it to people, they're like, oh, that's actually quite simple. You know, it's not this thing that that people can't understand. I always tell people, I'm not teaching you rocket science. I'm not teaching you brain surgery. I'm not that smart. This is really basic stuff that everyone understands once it's broken down. And the most important part of the Power Couple PhD is that it is in order because we have to create the relationship in order. There's a reason why it's step one, step two, step three. What a lot of couples do is they go into the relationship, they fall in love, then they go to step three, they go on date night, they have great sex, they have lots of fun and it's great, but they never go to step one and step two. They never build that foundation. Now, if we're just focused on having fun and we're just focused on going out and doing things and you know trying to just go straight to the reward side, if we don't have that foundation, our relationship will eventually be begin to crumble. We start to have arguments. We start to disconnect. We start to disrespect. We start to feel that there's a not a safe space. We start to keep secrets. We start to have affairs, right? And every time we chip away, chip away at that very fragile foundation that we created and all of a sudden it falls apart and we think, well, it's because of this person, right? We always think, oh, it's the person. It's it's you. It's you, right? And that's why when we break up, we, we almost hate this person that we loved at one time. So it's really important to understand the steps and understand that we have to do them in order. We have to make sure that we do them in order. In order to enjoy the fruitfulness of the relationship, we first have to do the work. Yeah, that was really powerful. And um, as I was listening to what you were saying, I think one of the things that I struggled with at the beginning of my relationship was active listening. Um, I struggled with that because sometimes, you know, they're speaking and you're thinking, as you say, you're thinking about your defense. What am I going to say back rather than listening to what your partner has to say? But as time went on, I've really, really improved on that. We're going to be together five years this year. And I think one of the reasons why our relationship has been so consistently strong, because we've hardly had arguments and we have deep, open discussions. But it's, as you said, it's all about the communication what are your values? Do you think the same? Do you have the same goals, the same morals? And I think, and I've been guilty of this, I've gone into a relationship, I've not had those conversations with my partners. Um, so my partner before my current partner now, so um, we were together for two years, and he had a gambling addiction, and I didn't know. And that caused so many issues in our relationship where finances was concerned. And it wasn't until, and it wasn't until later on that I really realized that was one of his struggles. But he told, he kind of told me, but he kind of said it in a way, oh, when I was, because he, he was divorced at the time when we met, because he used to be married and stuff. And he was like, oh, when I was married, I went through a bit of a gambling issue, but I've overcome it now not telling me that it was still an ongoing issue that he was having. So when he would get paid from work, he would tell me that the company short paid him, but he went straight to the bookies and, and, and bet half his salary away. So then I had to make up the other bit of the rent. So there was so much communication breakdown. So you are right. Communication is important. I've got friends that are in long marriages and they still don't communicate. It's And it's actually crazy. It's so important for you to say to your partner, I'm scared or I'm nervous about my career, or just everything really, just being open and honest with them. And I think 
that's really the route to relationship thriving. And you've really hit the nail on the head with what you were saying. Um, regarding your personal relationships, when you started to unlock all of this knowledge, how has that changed your... Did you know... Did, were you married to your husband before you became a relationship coach? Or did you become a relationship coach and then met your husband? They kind of happened at the same, same time. Same time, okay. Yeah, they happened about the same time. So he had just started his business and then I had just started my business. So we became entrepreneurs at the same time, which is a wonderful way to start a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> one one entrepreneur is enough and two at the same time. It's like really long days and, you know, intensity. Um, but it was amazing because we were able to practice this because I had had the knowledge, you know, I was studying for years. I was reading the research. I was gathering the information. But when I, when I, um, was with my husband, we actually got to practice these things and we had to go through some ups and downs to figure out like, Oh, okay, this is how this works. And so my relationship with my husband was kind of my guinea pig relationship. I had quite a few relationships in my past. Um, when I was younger, I was a serial monogamous. I was completely terrified of being alone. I think that this came from my mother. I saw my mother was constantly in relationships and she never, I never saw my mother single. And I think that I became like her finding the comfort in relationships, regardless of whether they were healthy or not. So I had lots of relationships in my past and some were healthier than others, but none of them were truly power couple relationships. Some of them were, you know, happy. We had great moments, but not to the depths of what we're talking about here. And so when I got into this relationship with my husband and we started to do this deep work, I mean, even I have something called the power couple weekly checklist. And this is something where every week you sit down with your partner, you spend about two, three hours. You do um, what I call like co-working, you know, couples co-working. The two of you get some stuff done that requires the two of you. So whether that's, you know, changing the light bulb or painting the wall or planning a birthday party, whatever it is, because a lot of times we do these things separately. And then again, the communication can get lost. So let's sit down for, you know, 30 minutes and let's try to get some of those things that require the two of us done together. Then we go through um, what I call the weekly relationship review, which is a set of six questions that we ask each other every single week. What was the best part of your week? What was the worst part of your week? What did I do that made you happy? This is a really important question because it's, it's investing in the positive sentiment bank account of your relationship. Yes, it's great to say please and thank you and all of that good stuff on a daily basis, but this is time to really highlight that one or two things that your partner did that just blew your mind away. It reinforces this is what I love. This is what I love. And when they're going throughout the next week, they're going to say, well, how can I do more of that? right? We're sort of training each other, do more of that, do more of that, because I love it so much. And then a really crucial question is, what did I do that bothered you this week? When you have this weekly relationship review, you create a safe space. I tell people to sit down with a cup of tea or a glass of wine, put some candles, some music, make it a comfortable environment. And you know that this question is coming up. So you're not defensive, the other person's not criticized. You're just creating a safe space of conversation. And the point of it is to have a discussion. So 
it may be that I change or I don't change. Maybe my husband says, you know, it bothered me that you wore that pink shirt. I don't know. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that I can't wear a, a pink shirt, right? But at least there's an awareness of, of the things that are bothering him. And then we can use compromise and negotiation to figure out, okay, what do we do about the pink shirt? Um, but it's really important to have this on a weekly basis because it prevents fighting from happening. Now, it's, it's not 100% foolproof, right? Because other things come up, but it allows you to buffer anything from really getting out of control. Because if we have an issue, it can go on for weeks, for months, for years, right? We're, we're fighting about the same thing all the time. And so it allows us to create the safe space to have this conversation. When things get through that, right? Because again, it's not foolproof, but when things get through that and we do find ourselves in an argument, what we do then is we have our problem solving technique. So I call it the power couple problem solving technique. How do we go from problem to solution without fighting, without anger, without resentment, without frustration? Because a lot of people will tell you that fighting is normal. It's inevitable. Some people will even tell you it's healthy, right? You should fight more. I've heard that. And the thing is that I understand the idea of why fighting is good because of the repair, because of the vulnerability. If we fight, we put our cards on the table. We talk about it. We work through it. And then we repair. But the question is, can you have all of those benefits without the fighting? without the resentment, the frustration, and the anger? And the answer is yes. Mm. You learn to work through problems with compassion, love, active listening, you know, all of those things. And you go from problem to solution with the increase of the love and the, and, you know, increasing the bond in the relationship. You don't have to have the negative in order to get the positive. And a sort of way that I explain that is to say, I went through a lot of trauma as a child and yes, it's helped me to become the woman that I am today. And I can look at that and say, you know, I've overcame so many obstacles, but then would I use that same logic to say, okay, when I have a child, I'm going to put her through trauma so that she can become a beautiful woman. I'm going to purposely traumatize her. Well, of course not that you would think I was crazy. So it's not that we have to fight in order to get beneficial things. We can do it in a positive way, in a loving way, in a compassionate way. And Every time we have a problem in our relationship, we can strengthen the bond because we're listening to each other more. We're showing more compassion. We're showing more understanding. We're allowing each other to express ourselves by creating the safe space. And so every time we're getting closer and closer as opposed to further and further away. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, one of the things that you said that stood out to me is that you said previously you were a serial monogamist. I was definitely that as well. Um, from the age of 18, 19, all the way up until I was like in my mid twenties, I was always in relationships and always monogamous. And I was single for three years before I started dating my current partner, Steve. And when Steve and I met, and I've mentioned this to you before, when we were speaking before we did the recording, that it blew me away when he mentioned to me that I need to be in an open relationship because I was like, what? Like, I was just like, that's crazy to me. Like it really threw me off, but I really respect the fact that he said it to me. It goes back to that thing that you say about communication and aligning values and knowing what the other person want and making sure our values are the same. And he said to me, I can't be in another monogamous relationship because he, he knows his pattern previously. He was that he cheated on his partner. So after going therapy and working on himself, he realized that he has to, that's something that he needs. And 
I asked him, why can't you be in a monogamous relationship? And I remember him saying to me, there's something for him about the newness of sleeping with someone new. I don't get it. I don't understand it, but that's fine. I don't, I don't need to understand it or get it. But I really respected that he said that to me. And one of the things that made me consider being in an open relationship, because when I was single, I went on holiday and I had a fling with a guy. It was like an amazing fling. We had a great time. And in my head, I was like, oh, I can see this going further. And when I spoke to him, he said to me, I'm in an open relationship. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I've been in an open relationship for 11 years. And that really shocked me that for him, it was purely just sex. And he's already got his partner. They have their agreement and stuff. And I said to myself, if my relationship can be like that, where that guy can has a healthy relationship, he communicates with his partner, then I've got nothing to lose. And I gave it a shot. And honestly, I think it's the best decision I made. Um, I never actually thought I would ever even think this way. So I wanted to kind of ask you, what are your thoughts on polyamorous relationships and um, open relationships and polygamy? Yes. So we have, I think one of the most important tools for human beings is awareness awareness and critical thinking, because we are so conditioned by this is the way that the world is supposed to be, that we don't take time to think for ourselves. We don't take time to even question. So when you get into a relationship, the presumption is that it's monogamous. Why would it not be monogamous? Because relationships are monogamous. So when you get into a relationship with someone, you don't even have that conversation. Is this open or is this closed, right? We presume that once we say, you know, girlfriend, girlfriend, boyfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is, that that's it. And if it is to be something else, then we have a conversation. So I think the conditioning of, you know, society is really starting to come out now. People are starting to become aware of who said a relationship is between two people. Is there a law? Is, you know, is it is it something that if I do have an open relationship, something bad is going to happen to me? Well, of course not. So we're starting to question, well, if it doesn't have to be, then can I then question how many partners I want to have? And then can it be a choice? So I think it's important for people to recognize that polyamorous relationships are just as valid as monogamous relationships. There, There is no difference. Yes, the way that we've had relationships for so long because of the church especially it has been with two people but we we also have to recognize that when people are in um closed relationships it's not to say that these people don't desire to be with other people because that's why cheating is so normalized you know because people do desire you know not everyone but a lot of people do desire to be with more than one person so what polyamory is is this ethical non-monogamy it's saying i'm not going to cheat on you but i'm going to tell you up front that this is what i want this is what i desire and so it's it's a very honest way of of what we've been doing for so long anyway so i think you know, when it, again, when it comes to the success or failure of the relationship, it doesn't matter if you have one partner, two partners, three partners, four partners, there is no difference. People say all the time, about, oh, you know, I, I had an ex that actually, um, I was t having a conversation about polyamory and he said, no, it would never work. It would, you know, it's a terrible, everyone who's polyamorous, um, their relationship is going to fail. And I say, well, most relationships that fail are monogamous you know? And mm. so we, we really have to understand the success or failure of relationships has nothing to do with how many partners we have. It's even actually 
fair to say that polyamorous relationships are more successful because it requires so much communication and honesty and trust. It does require setting boundaries. You know, it's not just this free-for-all of like, you can do whatever you want unless you agree that you can do whatever you want, right? So there are still some boundaries that have to be set because there has to be respect in, okay, but how do we do this? Can we date friends? Can we have this person come live with us? Um, is it going to be a, a throuple or is it going to be, you know, is it a relationship or is it just sex? So we have to have those conversations, which allows us to feed into that positive communication. So a lot of times they are more successful in that sense. Um, but yeah, I, I think that they're still extremely taboo. There's a long way that we have to go again, because a lot of the ideas about monogamy do still come from religion. Um, and, you know, God, whatever God we have, wants us to be in a monogamous relationship. And, you know, that's how we show our faith. And this is why it's really important for us to define the values in our relationship and what they actually mean. It's not enough to say, oh, I value someone, you know, I was having a conversation with a client and she says, I value someone who is loyal. And I say, great. What does it mean to be loyal? Mm. Because loyal in a monogamous relationship means that I'm with you, I'm only with you, I do not have an affair. But you also have loyalty in open relationships. It means that I will stay within the boundaries that we set for the relationship. So let's say that we say, okay, we're going to be able to have sex or have relationships with other people, but let's not have them with friends or family, right? Let's not cross that boundary. It's still a boundary. And so loyalty is not crossing the boundaries that you set for yourself. And really, you know, it's it's just about, I think we are moving into a more accepting society. We're, we still have a long, 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 long way to go. Um, but polyamory is the conversation that is happening at many different dinner tables. People are questioning it. They are considering it. Um, and I do think that in the future, it will become the norm. I do think that it will become the norm. Um, it's not to say that everyone will be in an open relationship, but I do think that the question will happen in every relationship. Do you want to be monogamous? Do you want to be open? Mm. And that for me is the most important aspect to not put this label of normality and say, this is normal. This is abnormal. You know, it's the same to say heterosexual couples are normal, same sex couples are not normal. You know, white skin is normal. Brown skin is not normal. You know, marriage is normal. Living together without marriage and children is not normal. You know, this idea that we're all just sheep, you know, in, in a herd and we have to follow one path because that one path is going to make all of us happy. We're recognizing, you know, the world is your oyster. As long as you're a good person, you're not out here killing people, like live your life and live it as authentically as you possibly can, because we need variety in this world. How boring would it be if everyone did the same thing, if everyone looked the same way, if everyone thought the same way? I mean, we would all just kill ourselves. Like how boring would that be? Mm -hmm. It's what makes life so beautiful that we have freedom and we have choice and we have variety. That's the essence of being alive. 
it's so true you know and it, it, it's it's funny how the church has created this whole thing of monogamy not just church religion in general that monogamy is the only way but if you look historically because i grew up in church if you look at the early bible it doesn't promote monogamy the early bible talks about polyamorous relationship but one thing i realized with religion and um polygamy and polyamorous relationships is that it's very um misogynistic so it's in favor of the man because there's so many people in the bible that are um they've got their wives and how many concubines i think it was um i don't want to misquote but i think it was solomon in the bible that had like 950 concubines how was it that this man is allowed to sleep with so many different women so there's nothing i always say there's nothing new under the sun everything that we're seeing now has always been there if you look at roman history it's all a cycle we go through periods through history where we preach one thing but then historically we've done it as a human race and i just think that we need to progress as a society and get to a place where people can just do whatever they want as you say as long as they're not going out killing people as long as they're kind loving people should be able to do what they want because they've always been able to do what they want back in the day if you look at historically biblically and things like that but it's just they want to do it their way and they think their way is the only way and really and truly it's not and what you were saying about the boundaries it's so true because even though i'm in an open relationship me and my partner we do have boundaries in our open relationship yes we don't sleep with um family and friends and things like that and we have boundaries of when we can sleep with other people if we're both together we're not going to be like oh bye i'm seeing you later i'm going to go and sleep with someone else no it has to be i'm away he's away if i'm on holiday he's on holiday or we we have to be away from each other for whatever the reason is before we can do something like that we can't do it we, he, we can't say okay i'm leaving the house just to go and meet someone i'm here so as you say everybody has their own rules because even the other guy that I told you that I had a fling with, I still keep in touch with him, we're still friends. And his open relationship rules are very different from mine. There's some stuff in his rules that I'm like, there's no way I can actually do that. Um, I'm in an interracial relationship. Um, some of the couples that come and speak to you about their relationship problems, is there any issues around race? Have you ever um, supported interracial couples? Have there been any sort of racial issues come up in their relationship regarding family or outside racism, how it's impacted their relationship? Have you, have you experienced that or even personally as well? I would say that one of the most beautiful aspects of relationship intelligence is that it works for everyone. Mm. Regardless of age, regardless of relationship dynamic, regardless of race, regardless of religion, it is it is a, a law of nature. And so it works for everyone. It works for every single relationship. So I have had the pleasure of working with so many different types of couples and interracial couples. I'm in an interracial um, relationship. My husband is a gorgeous Italian man. Um, and I would say that it's, it's the same relationship dynamic. It's the same relationship foundation, communication, honesty, trust, interdependence, all of those things that I mentioned. That's exactly the same, whether you're the same race or different races. I would say that the, the communication just has to include the backgrounds of the two people that are in the relationship, making sure that you understand the culture of the other person. Whereas if you're both, let's say you're both Italian, maybe you don't have to have those conversations because you grew up with the same culture and things like that. And there's a lot of understanding um, initially in the relationship. But let's say, you know, an, an Italian and an American, 
there's a lot of conversations that my husband and I had around um, being African-American in the U.S. because he's never lived in the U.S. You know, he doesn't understand that as a person of color, you think about getting shot when you get pulled over by the police. Um, there's a lot of things that he doesn't he doesn't understand because he hasn't lived in my culture and I haven't lived in his. And so the conversations are the same in the sense that you have to have that effective communication. The topics are just a little bit different. So I would say that it's just one of those interesting factors that you want to discuss in your relationship. The same as, you know, if you had any trauma growing up or what your childhood was like, or, you know, were you the popular kid or the nerd in school? You know, you want to have these conversations with your partner. And if you are in an interracial relationship, you also want to talk about those things. You want to talk about what are your experience, what were your experiences? If you decide to have children, you know, how are we going to raise our child? How are we going to talk? Talk about race in the family. Um, it's just another topic that you want to talk about. But essentially, when it comes to the functionality of the relationship, um, it is the same. It is the same. Even if you have two different cultures, let's say that um, you know an Italian and, and an American, as as we are, um, there's there's just little silly things that come up, like when my husband cooks, I have to be at the table. I have, like, I can't wait. I can't be like a minute late. I have to be like sitting and ready um, because he has this thing that like when the pasta is ready, you have to be at the table. And it's this kind of funny thing, but it's a really, you know, cultural thing of respect because they, they value food so much. I mean, Italian food. Um, so there were a few times where I was like working and I was like, okay, five minutes. And he just, he was like, no, when the food is ready. And so, you know, this is kind of a funny example, mm. but you just want to make sure that you have an understanding of what respect is for that person, um, how the two of you want to incorporate those two, those two cultures, you know, holidays and, and how it's going to be. I would say that for, for me, I think the Italian culture was a little easier for me to absorb especially because I've been living in Europe for 12 years now. Um, but for my husband, there was a big learning curve. He had never been with a woman of color before me. Um, again, Italian, and then he lived in the UK. He still didn't have that influence of what it meant to be Black and what it meant to be Black um, as a woman. You know, So there was a lot of learning that had to go on there. And he's still learning. But I would say the most beautiful thing is like he's he's super supportive because when he learns something, he's like, oh, that's outrageous. You know, he gets he gets more passionate. Um, I remember one time when I when I first moved to the UK, there was this um, salon that was being extremely racist towards me. I mean, just in your face racist and living in Spain for 10 years. I never experienced that. I have to say, like Spanish people, I'm sure, you know, they're they're also there's some racism there, but they never say anything to your face. When I went to the UK, it was like, it was very out loud in my face and I, I was shocked. And it didn't happen when he was there. I told him later, he marched himself to that salon and he gave him a piece of his mind. <laughs> and, you know, and it was just such the most beautiful, it was just the most beautiful situation for me because it was like, 
he understands and he is supportive and he, you know, my pain is his pain and his pain is my pain. And it was just a really beautiful demonstration of, of love. That's really, really good. I've had a, I had a similar situation because my background, I'm Jamaican. I, I grew up in the, in the UK. I've lived here most of my life since I was nine, but I was born in Jamaica. My partner is English through and through. And I would say it was probably harder for me to adjust because I've only dated black Jamaican men. So this is my first interracial relationship where he was dating outside of his race before he met me. He dated an Indian guy for 10 years and he's had other relationship with other black guys as well. And um, I think one of the things that really, similar to your story, we were going to Turkey and to go to Turkey, I, I think the rules have changed now, but back then you needed an e-visa. We all did. It doesn't matter what your passport, British or whatever. So we both had the e-visa in our passport, um, um, electronically on our phones when we were going to Turkey. So we were going through um, the passport control to get onto the plane from here. And he showed the guy the visa on his phone. The guy said, go through. And I'm walking behind my partner. I show him the visa of my phone. The guy was like, you need to have a printed copy of the e-visa. I'm like, what? But you let him through. Before I could get another word in, my partner was just like, why are you questioning him? You're being a rape. Like, called the guy out. The guy felt so embarrassed. He just let me through. But that really touched me because it, it's similar to like what you said. It's beautiful when your partner can stand with you in solidarity to say, I'm saying no to this. I'm not going to allow them to disrespect you for being who you are. And it's that equality in the household, right? You're supposed to be equal. So yeah, that was very powerful as well. I had a similar experience. <laughs> um, I want to say a massive, massive thank you for joining me on my platform. Um, I've had so much incredible knowledge. The last question I want to ask you is, where do you think someone should start? So let's say there's someone that's having like all these crazy issues in their relationship and their relationship is at on the last leg and it's about to fail. Where do you think they should start? What's the first thing you think they should do to try and fix the relationship? Yes. So usually what happens before we end a relationship is we go into what is called relationship ambivalence. Should I stay? Should I go? So before we end the relationship, we usually question whether we should or not. Mm -hmm. In relationship ambivalence, should I stay? Should I go? It's too good to it's too good to go. It's too bad to stay. The question that we want to ask ourselves is: Is the problem the person or the relationship? If the problem is the person, it means that fundamentally the two of you are not compatible. You don't have that common vision, that sh those shared values, boundaries, and expectations, and the two of you aren't willing to change. Let's say I'm 100% sure I want three kids and my partner is 100% sure they don't want any kids. And we value that decision more than the relationship. Well, we're just not compatible. We shouldn't be together and that's okay. If the problem is the relationship, it means that we love each other. It means that we do share the same values and the same expectations, but we don't have the skills to create a thriving relationship out of the love that we have. And most of the time when we are in relationship ambivalence, it's not the person, it's the relationship. We do not know how to create a relationship. We just think, oh, if I fall in love with someone, then I'll be happy, you know, happy ever after because that's what I saw in Disney. It doesn't work like that. So what we have to do is recognize that most of the time it's not the person, it's not even you, it's that you don't have the tools and techniques to create the thriving relationship that you deserve. So 
what a lot of times people do, they don't recognize it's the relationship, they think it's the person. So what do we do? We break up with that person, we're single for a while, oh, we find another person. Oh, I love this person so much, they're so much better than my ex, happily ever after. And then poof, we're right back in the same spot. Then we mm. find another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. And then we get to the point where we, be we become bitter, and we say, there's no good men out there. There's no good woman mm. out there, right? Yeah. <laughs> It's like, of course there are, but the problem is the relationship. That means that you have to educate yourself. That is step number one. It's awareness and education. I need to know, and I'm not talking about ask your friends and ask your family members because as much as you may love them, they don't have the information either. That's why they're also suffering. So you have to get the information based on science. You want to be able to get that formal education of how do I create a thriving relationship? What are the steps? Because if I'm trying to, you know, if I'm trying to make, and I told you this example the other day, if I'm trying to make a banana cake, but all I have are apples and celery, I'm never going to make a banana cake. I need to figure out what are the ingredients, then go to the shop, then buy it, then you know, know the recipe. I need those tools and techniques. I need that information. So any of you who are looking to get this information, I have tons and tons of resources on my website where you know they're free resources because it's so important that people really understand from from a valuable source again everything i talk about is based on science um because what a lot of people are doing is they're asking friends they're asking family they're asking in chat rooms they're asking you know in facebook groups but it's sort of this person doesn't know and you don't know so neither one of you are really going to help each other right mm. we need to we need to get the facts and we need to get the education Fantastic. Thank you so much. So if my audience wanted to use your service, where's the best place places for them to find you to use your service? I am on Facebook and Instagram, Riley Molinario. So if you can spell it, you can find me. Um, and then always RileyMolinario.com. As I said, I have tons of free information, free tools. I have a relation, um, a masterclass, a free masterclass. It's called Relationships Without Fighting, where I teach this technique so that people can stop fighting in their relationships, you know, authentically and start to grow as opposed to grow apart. Brilliant. And guys, if you didn't catch that, check the description box of this episode or the link to her website on her social media will be there. Riley, thank you so much. I really appreciate you for coming on. Um, not only have you blessed my audience, but even me, I've taken away so much information from your, from your words as well. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. At the end of this video, guys, I would really appreciate it if you could subscribe, rate the podcast, and also leave a review.